Well, good morning, beloved. I have a confession before I begin uh, preaching uh, the sermon. Carrying four extra pounds. Thanksgiving. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I got on the scale. I'm like, what? The past three, four days. Man. So I hope you had a good Thanksgiving as well. So I had a wonderful one. For the last eight Sundays, we've been studying the life and faith and the character of Simon Peter. Today, we're wrapping up this sermon series as we learn from his second and last letter. I think there's no better way to close out the church here on Christ the King Sunday than hearing from Peter, the rock of the church. And we've called this series Peter, the Unlikely Disciple, because the man we discovered in the scriptures uh, was almost portrayed as a normal man. And at times, he was even flawed, though, just like you and just like me. Peter sought to follow uh, Jesus faithfully, but sometimes, you know, he got confused. He got afraid and faltered. He was a normal uh, blue-collar fisherman who was called by Jesus to come and follow him. He walked on water, but remember, he took his eyes off of Jesus and he sank. He was the first one to proclaim that Jesus was the Son of God, and was, but then denied even knowing that later on. He spread the gospel throughout Israel and all the Roman uh, world, and he suffered greatly for his faith. The stories of Peter's shortcomings serve to humanize him, and they allow ordinary, it allows ordinary Christians, Christians like you and me, to identify with this dude. <laughs> When Peter wrote his second letter to the churches, he, he'd come to uh, love these churches throughout the Roman Empire. And he knew he was fast approaching uh, his death. Tradition holds that Peter was, uh, died during Emperor Nero's reign in the persecution of Christians around A.D. 67 or 68. Peter was in Rome at the time when he wrote this letter, possibly in a Roman prison. When he was sentenced to die by Roman crucifixion, he didn't deem it worthy to be crucified like Christ was crucified. So he requested to be crucified upside down. And he's buried in a place where St. Peter's Basilica stands now in the Vatican City today. If you knew your life was coming to an end and you had a chance to say some important things to your loved ones, people you really cared about, what would you say? Would you share your love, your encouragement? Words maybe too deep for tears. What would you say? Not everyone gets that chance. But Peter knew that the Emperor Nero was going to have him executed, so he decided to write. And that would be his last letter, his final words to the church. So he packed it with passionate words of encouragement, but also words of warning to the churches. Peter's had some things he wanted the members of the churches to remember as he uh, approached the end of his life here on earth. Let's look at 2 Peter together, the first chapter, 13 through 15. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. 
And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. The Bible refers to our bodies uh, at times as tents, temporary tabernacles or shelters. That's true. It really is. Body contains our souls. It's not our permanent dwelling place, my friends. And as we remember that Jesus told Peter the kind of death that he would face in the post-resurrection appearance after Peter denied knowing him three times, but Jesus restored him. And listen to what Jesus said to Peter in John 21, 18 through 19. But very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself. and you, you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which uh, Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Peter had been following uh, Jesus and sharing Jesus with all the people he could for almost 40 years. He must have had so many memories of Jesus and what Jesus said to him. He must have known so much about what Jesus had taught him and how he passed that on and he taught others. Peter wanted to remind the members of the churches about these things. He writes in 2 Peter verse 12, So I will always remind you of these things even though you know them and are firmly established in truth you now have. Remembering is such a wonderful thing, isn't it? Isn't it a gift to remember? Don't you like dislike not remembering i can't even remember what i had for lunch yesterday to add to those four pounds but the people of god we are always remembering we're called to remember what god has done for us in the past so we won't forget what god has done for us right here in the now in the present and what god will be to us in the future Remembering is so important because we, we tend to forget things quickly. But remembering also helps us to remind us of who we are and whose we are. And it's so important to remember that, my friends. We're so forgetful. God could do something amazing today and tomorrow I act like maybe it didn't even happen. We forget. We focus our attention to other things and do not dwell on the things that God has done. We're busy in our lives, tending to our responsibilities, family, friends, uh, social, whatever. We get caught up in the hustle and bustle. And then before we realize, we've lost track of what all that God has done. And that's why it's so important to count our blessings. We forget that He's the creator of all things, including us and the entire universe. And His power is unmatched, and He is mighty. We forget to pray not realizing that our Heavenly Father wants to help us and be beside us. Remembering is what Peter wants the members of the church to remember. And he says in 2 Peter 1, 2 through 4, Grace and peace to you in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for godly life through the knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and goodness. Though these he has given to us is very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. It's what the believers know, he's saying. 
what they've learned and the knowledge of God that the Lord Jesus Christ wants them to remember. I can imagine Peter is remembering some things about Jesus and his promise that he made to him. Come and follow me. I'll make you a fisher of men, he said. And that promise certainly happened in Peter's life. Or maybe he's remembering some of the promises, Jesus' promises from the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Or even the promise when Jesus changed Simon's name to Peter. He said, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Undoubtedly, Peter is also remembering how Jesus saved him from drowning after he had walked on water. And how Jesus graciously and lovingly restored him as a follower after Peter denied him three times. For you see, Jesus looks beyond what we are right now. And he sees all that he created us to be. And all that we can become as we follow him. For you see, transformation, Peter says, doesn't come just from knowledge. Peter tells us it's God's divine power bestowed, given to us in everything so that we can live life of godliness. The power to grow doesn't come from us trying to muster it up in the inside. It comes from God. It's the Holy Spirit that teaches us and reminds us of everything that Jesus taught. Calling the believers to remember everything that they've been taught about Jesus is the first purpose of Peter's letter. But just remembering is not enough. Peter calls us also to obedience, actually putting things into practice, everything we've learned. So I want to use a little acronym today, R-O-L-E, to take us through Peter's final letter. We learn and remember God's truth first by reading and studying and understanding the Bible. We combat the lies of the enemy as we walk in the truth of God's word. And we get to know God better as we talk to him through daily prayer and listening. The O is for obey. Faith is more than just believing facts, my friends. It results in action and results in obedience. And as we walk in obedience more and more and more, it becomes joyful obedience as we see that we're living in a clear conscience and walking according to the footsteps of Christ. You see, Peter exhorted the believers to make every effort to live in obedience to Jesus' commands and to grow in holiness. For as we strive to live our lives following the example of the life of Jesus, we grow in that holiness. We grow in that sanctification. We grow into the likeness of our Lord being antiseptic (laughs) for this culture. Peter instructs the believers in some of these actions in verses 5 through 11. He says, For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to a mutual affection, love. Peter has already addressed these things that God has done and the things we are to remember. And now as he begins to address these things, we must do. We have to make every effort to build upon these things so that these things can be added into our DNA as God's people of abundant life. 
And these actions don't come automatically. They aren't easy. In fact, they require a ton of discipline and hard work to practice. But they aren't optional, my friends. They have to become a continual part of our Christian growth and our Christian walk. So let's look at 2 Peter's key attributes in words. First on the list is goodness. This is more than just being good and trying to strive to be good. The Bible says that no one is good because we all have sinned. Goodness comes from God. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. And how do we make an effort to be good all the time? We stay connected to the good shepherd who leads us and guides us. And as we abide in him, we experience goodness and it flows freely out from us. To be good begins with knowing Jesus and imitating him. Next, Peter says is knowledge. Knowledge here is practical knowledge and wisdom. <coughs> Excuse me, get a drink of water here. Wisdom is uh, discerning good and evil and making good choices. Gaining knowledge is gradual and it includes wisdom and discernment, which comes from knowing God. And no one can, be more, can, can become more like Jesus without knowing his word and without living out his word. So knowledge is not just referring to information about the Bible, not about head knowledge about the scripture. It's about heart knowledge coming from here into here and out to here. It's about God, but not apart from the word of God. And then he says self-control. Those who live a godly life exercise self-discipline. They, they're able to restrain themselves so they don't get trapped in sinful desires. I want to tell you right now, I have an issue with self-control. I do. Self-control, you know, it often is referred to eating and drinking and temperament. And when we're connected to, to Jesus, the Holy Spirit empowers us to control our selfish desires. I've always found it particularly challenging it's one of those fruits of the spirit and I try my best to keep that self-control thanksgiving that pie that pumpkin pie had a moorish taste it did that's what our family says it has a moorish taste <laughs> and so not one piece down two pieces down and I need to have self-control by putting the cell phone down, cutting down on social media so I can tune in to the wife and listen and interact with my family and friends. Self-control in counting uh, to ten before I speak. Count to ten before I speak. Next, Peter adds is perseverance. Isn't that a great word? perseverance it indicates endurance during difficult times my friends facing spiritual battles more than physical battles or an athletic contest it's a virtue needed to stand firm in one's commitment to Jesus Christ over the long haul in the face of persecution and other hardships it's being able to endure suffering for the sake of our faith in Jesus Christ Next, Peter says godliness. In the Greek world, this virtue pointed to appropriate relationships toward the authorities in one's life, which is also expressed in respect to those relationships God has sanctioned. In the midst of opposition in the world, believers are to live godly and holy lives because God is holy 
We're to live in such a way that our behavior reflects the character of Jesus Christ. Remember week seven when Peter said, be set apart from the world. Next, Peter says, is mutual affection. Sometimes called brotherly or sisterly love. And this is about horizontally focusing on those virtues of brotherly and sisterly kindness to each other, especially those in the family of faith. The term indicates uh, acts of affection and generosity uh, among the physical kin, which are the family relationships in the community of faith. And finally, Peter says, next mutual affection and then comes love. Agape love. Remember what that is? That love, that loves and expects nothing in return. It's unmerited. Love is the supreme virtue that we bear as Christians. And the important point to keep in mind is love is also action. It's a verb. It's, mere, it's not a mere emotion as alone. Peter wants us to act lovingly toward each other. We also see the Apostle Paul describes in love in 1 Corinthians 13. Remember what love does. It's patient. It's kind. It's gentle. And many other things. It's not how it feels. Jesus loves people. We love people. It becomes automatic as a Christian. Anyone who loves will possess these qualities that Peter mentioned. Peter goes on to tell the believers whom he is writing, beginning in verse 8. He says, If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to conform your calling and election. For if you do these things... You will never stumble. You will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The final qualities that Peter said we are to strive for and grow in our lives is mutual affection and love that God has shown us in Jesus Christ, which brings us to the L in role, and that is love. Peter wants to ensure the followers under his care, all who would come after him, are effective and and productive in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, that knowledge of Jesus is not just for knowledge's sake, but it's to produce action in us, to change us. It's to transform us into better witnesses for Jesus. How's your love bank? How's your love tank? Is it full? Is it flowing easily out from you to others? When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment, how did he answer? Jesus replied in Matthew 22, 37, Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. At the first and greatest commandment, and the second one is like it, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So we remember, we obey, we love. Love is the supreme law of God, my friends. It's the summary of every other law. God wrapped up into that one simple truth. Do you remember what Jesus said to Peter? He said, Simon Peter, do you love me more than these? Feed my sheep. And I believe that feed, that grain, is love. God is love, therefore we must love as followers of God.
You see, love is the culmination and the process of sanctification, my friends. It's the pinnacle of the second half of the gospel that we talk about here at Anderson Hills all the time. It's the profound love of people. And only 1% of Christ's followers reach this. Yet, this is the holiness we aspire to withhold, or with, to, to uh, let go of, to spread it to others. In, to, in addition to Peter's message to remember, obey, and love, he includes a warning in his final letter. It's a warning to stay true to the gospel, a warning not to succumb to false teachers and teachings which were infiltrating the church. And that's what E means, eliminating evil. Peter warned believers that false prophets were coming. They would rise up and they would wreak havoc in the church. And the enemy has deceptive ways, doesn't he, to disguise himself as a false teacher. Peter shares uh, characteristics of the false teachers so the believers would know what to look for. These false teachers took advantage of believers. And they would add secretive teachings. And these teachings were destructive to the church. These false teachers would would draw people into their ideas. But Peter reiterated that there was no other truth but truth found in Jesus Christ. And reminded them that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus is the right path, the narrow path, the only path that leads to everlasting life. Look at what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 2. But there were these false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachings among you. They will secretly introduce you to destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who brought them and bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. You see, Peter closes out his final words to believers, reminding them of what he's been taught as a follower of Jesus Christ. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the air of lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ To him be all glory now and forever. Amen. This has been this series that we've been in for a couple months. Peter, the unlikely disciple. It's like we've learned and watched how the Lord took a normal fisherman named Simon and transformed him into Peter the rock, which upon Jesus Christ chose to build his church. And we are here because of him. Peter wasn't the rock at the beginning, you know, of his relationship with Jesus. But that's what he became. And Jesus wants to change our hearts and our lives too. He can take what we are right now and he can use us to do great things in his name for his kingdom when we surrender to him, when we experience his grace when he places our, his hands upon our shoulder and says, love in my name. I think of Peter in this series we journey through and I hear the words of a beautiful poem, a famous poem by Myra Brooks Welch, The Touch of the Master's Hand. Are you familiar with it? I want to read it to you. 
Twas a battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it hardly worth his while to waste his time on an old violin, but he held it up with a smile. What am I bid, good people, he cried. Who starts the bidding for me? One dollar, one dollar, do I hear two? Two dollars, who makes it three? Three dollars, three dollars twice, going for three, but no. From the room far back, a gray-bearded man came forward and picked up the bow, wiping the dust from the old violin and tightening up the strings. He played a melody pure and sweet as sweet as the angels sings. The music ceased, and the auctioneer, with a voice that was quiet and low, said, What now am I to bid for this old violin? He held it aloft with the bow. One thousand, one thousand do I hear too. Two thousand, who makes it three? Three thousand once, three thousand twice, going and gone, said he. The audience cheered, but some of them cried. We just don't understand what changed its worth. Swift came the reply, the touch of the master's hand. And many a man with life out of tune, all battered and bruised with hardship, is auctioned cheap to a thoughtless crowd, much like the old violin. A mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game as he travels on. He's going once, he's going twice, he's going and almost gone. But when the master comes, and the foolish crowd never can quite understand the worth of a soul and the change that is wrought by the touch of the master's hand. Will you pray with me? God, may we always be reminded of what you do through the touch of Jesus Christ. Touch our hearts and our minds and our souls. May we live and walk in your ways. We thank you for this series that has led and guide, guided us these past couple months in 2023. And we've learned from your apostle Peter, man in which you changed the name to rock. God, may we be firm and founded upon the solid rock of Jesus Christ, standing on his promises. Thank you, Master, for touching our lives and may we go now in obedience and do your will. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.